Welcome to Brook USA on the Road. Our mission at Brook USA is to significantly improve the welfare of working horses, donkeys, and mules, and the people they serve throughout Asia, Africa, the Middle East, the Americas, and the Caribbean by raising funds and responsibly directing them to the areas of greatest need. Brook USA connects private philanthropists with their passion for helping relieve the suffering of working equines and their owners. In each podcast episode, you'll hear a report from one of our board members on the current initiatives for our organization. You'll also enjoy updates from our Brook USA ambassadors, who range from top-level international writers to best-selling authors. I'm your host, Julianne Neal. In this episode, you'll have the opportunity to learn more about Brook USA, a nonprofit, board led organization dedicated to alleviating the suffering of working equines and the people they serve in the developing world. In today's episode of Brook USA on the Road, you'll hear from Hannah Selleck, world class equestrian. You'll also hear about the upcoming Sunset Polo and White Party Special Edition, sponsored by Lugano Diamonds. Catherine Canib is the recently elected chairman of the board for Brook USA and the founder of Brook USA Sunset Polo and White Party, the organization's signature event and leading fundraiser, which takes place each year in Wellington, Florida. Her philanthropic work is extensive for many well-known organizations. Nothing compares to her extraordinary commitment to Brook USA, which includes public relations, fundraising, and advocacy. For the past year, Catherine has led and actually started the organization's national advocacy efforts against the use of donkey hides used in traditional Chinese medicine and imported and sold in the United States. Hundreds of thousands of donkeys from across Africa are inhumanely stolen, smuggled, and slaughtered each year. Most recently, she worked on fundraising efforts on behalf of Brook USA to provide water access to animals in villages in Ethiopia with the construction of boreholes and troughs, as well as the installation of solo water pumps. For the last five years, Catherine has planned and hosted Brook USA's Sunset Polo and White Party, raising $1.8 million for the organization. And today, we're here to learn more about what I have been told is a fabulous event. Lugano Diamonds joins Brook USA this year as the presenting sponsor of Brook USA's Sunset Polo and White Party Special Edition. Lugano Diamonds is a private international diamond and jewelry company founded in Israel by Moti Furter with the vision of creating exquisite, one-of-a-kind, wearable works of art. In 2005, the company established itself in North America with the opening of its Grand Salon in Newport Beach, California. Lugano Diamonds also has locations in Aspen, Colorado and Palm Beach, Florida and will be opening in Ocala, Florida at the World Equestrian Center this spring. Since its inception, Lugano Diamond's worldwide connections to procure the rarest, most unique, and largest stones enable the company to consistently produce stunning creations. As CEO and Design Director of Lugano Diamonds, Moti serves as the creative force behind Lugano's spectacular pieces. His jewelry designs have earned him recognition from luxury publications worldwide. Moti's expertise is frequently referenced in leading national and international publications. He is deeply involved in the philanthropic community and supports a variety of nonprofit causes, with Brook USA joining the long list. Catherine and Moti, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. And I should actually say for Catherine, welcome back to the podcast. It's been, like we said, a couple of months, but um, glad to have you back and so glad to be able to speak about some things for Brook USA today. So Catherine, some things have changed since we spoke last year. Um, and as the new chairman of the board for Brook USA, do you have some specific plans for the organization? I mean, there's so much opportunity out there. What are your priorities for this year? Yeah, the, um it's true. There, so much has changed, um, obviously, in the world, um, and also the organization. You know, it's growing. It's 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 maturing. So, you know, there's there's sort of um, 
a lot to think about and and coming on as board chair i'd spent a lot of time of thinking how we were going to um help grow this organization to continue to help the populations that um we've been working with and expanding our reach as well um obviously covid has thrown in a whole other challenge so um, one of the things is to continue the COVID relief fund that we've been um, using to really give micro grants to uh, those really in need who are caring for helping in terms of the equines, um, in, you know, mostly in uh, the Americas um, so that we can get a need to them very immediately. And even the littlest amount of money sometimes makes such a difference for them. Um, the other thing is to um, also expand our focus in our programming to uh, add in um, more of the funding to go to the Americas, Central America, North America as well, and identify populations that have um, equines in their lives and depend on these equines and um, help with programming through those um, populations to um, not just alleviate the suffering of the equines, but also assist in these populations as well. One of the things that we spoke a great deal about the last time you were on the podcast was a special event that you've been spearheading for quite some time that is one of the major fundraising efforts for the organization. So, of course, I'm speaking about the Sunset Polo and White Party, and I know that's, uh, you know, happily we can say that it is coming back this year. So can you tell us a little bit after the one-year hiatus um, due to the pandemic, can you tell us some details about what you have planned for this year? Sure. Yeah, we took a lot of time um, thinking about it and working through it and and how how can we do this event um, safely with everybody feeling comfortable. Um, but we, we did believe it was important um, just for a lot of reasons, obviously the fundraising, but also visibility um, for the organization and continuity after having to um, postpone it last year. So we did a venue change. So instead of actually having at the Wonders Club, we've moved it over to the International Polo Club, which allows us to um, safely expand the event in terms of um, its footprint. But we're going to, instead of having the, the regular population of about a thousand people, we've cut it down to uh, just 350 people. And that way um, everybody can come and feel safe. We're creating um, more um, pod situations with private cabanas and and lounge setups that are very well spaced from each other um, and a pure VIP experience so that people can come with their own groups and basically just have more of a geographic change so it's with people you already are with that you feel comfortable with, but be, come outside, have a lovely cabana, watch a polo game. We're getting a live band this year, which should be really fun. So um, it's really creating a nice experience for everybody, but in the safest way possible. So yes, we did just announce it a couple of weeks ago. It's March 18th, uh, which is a Thursday. Um, so we'll start um, with the polo event and then go into the, the dinner and the celebration um, from there. Well, it sounds exquisite. And I heard that Ingrid Hoffman will be back as celebrity chef. And I know that there will be some wonderful things happening for sure. Yeah, she's been great. And she, um, she we have uh, part of what we have, have is the, what we're offering is the cabanas will have their own um, private gourmet baskets of food um, that Ingrid will be doing the menu um, for. And then we'll have obviously the VIP experience, which will be the, the buffet station, but very safe, obviously, but she will be the one who will be making the, the menu and providing the recipes for that as well. Oh, I know that it's going to be great then, definitely. And one of the most exciting things, Moti, is wonderful to know that Lugano Diamonds is the event's presenting sponsor. Can you tell me a little bit about how the, the partnership came about between Brook USA, Sunset Polo, and White Party, Latin America, Special Edition Latin America, and, and your organization, Lugano Diamonds? How did that whole partnership begin? Well, we, we, we have, uh, Lugano has a long history of... Uh, commitment to the community and specifically to uh, the equestrian community. We've been involved in, uh, in it for, for a long time. Uh, truthfully, in, in regards to Brook USA, uh, uh, this came through uh, Catherine, who's a longtime friend, and uh, her passion uh, is, is very evident uh, about it. And she uh, gave us the bug and, <laughs> uh, and we're uh, happy to support her and to support the community. And, and we're very proud of that. 
Well, after looking through your website and seeing the salons that you have and all the different the different setups that I've been able to research, it sounds like this is just going to be an amazing event. Can you tell us how your presence will be seen throughout the different areas of, of the party? Walk me through it. Uh, we're going to be uh, into all aspects of uh, the event, including the invitation design. Uh, we have a Lugano lounge with our own VIP uh, space, which uh, will reflect uh, the event and Lugano and uh, just help as much as possible, make it successful and fun and memorable uh, so that people can clear their heads from today's, uh, I mean, recent uh, years uh, events and uh, and just be optimistic about the future. Well, I know as the design director for Lugano Diamonds, I can see your artistic flair. And so I can just imagine what everything's going to look like. It's going to be wonderful. Um, Catherine, I know that those folks who are interested in attending must have questions about health and safety and all that. So can you speak a little bit more about your guidelines for COVID and, and how that will work? I know you mentioned smaller crowds and that sort of thing. Is there anything else that people would need to know before they actually buy a ticket? Sure. I mean, <clears throat> the facility itself, International Polo Club, has been operating um, since you know this fall with their own guidelines, obviously strict to CDC guidelines, as well as uh, Palm Beach County. So we're really, you know, going off of their guidelines um, that they've been implementing and uh, successfully have been implementing. They've been having polo events there, you know, with social distancing attendance um, for their members and very, very limited other spectators. Uh, but, you know, every, everything that you would expect to be there, you know, masks, you know, distancing when you're checking in in the process, hand sanitizers. Um, everybody's going to obviously have COVID release forms that understand, you know, if they're going to attend what the what the criteria personally for them would be to keep everybody safe. And I said, each of these groupings, um, no more than eight people in, in a cabana or a lounge seating or the VIP seating where you can create your own table inside is going to be, you know, six people or less, depending on what you feel comfortable. So if you'd like to come <clears throat> just as one, you know, one person by yourself, we can put you at a table with one. If you want to come with two or three, we can do that. So everybody sort of has a comfort level with what's going on. And of course, all of the activations that will be there, mostly obviously the, the wonderful Lugano Lounge. Um, again, there will be social distancing opportunities, you know, and, and as people will be going through and interacting, everybody should feel very, very comfortable with what we have in place. So, Moti, I know that as people are coming into the Lugano Lounge and, and are able to see some of your work, can you share a little bit about where you find your inspiration, your creative process to make the extraordinary jewelry designs that make your pieces so highly coveted? Is it that you find the, the stone first and create around it, or you have something in mind and you go out searching? What is your, your inspiration? Yeah, I think Lugano and my design process is uh, slightly different than most because we make um, most of our pieces are unique, one-of-a-kind pieces. So the process always starts with a stone. Uh, and then really my uh, inspiration varies. Sometimes it's nature, sometimes it's art, sometimes it's uh, uh, historical pieces. And uh, uh, But then I would say that the number one true inspiration is actually who's going to wear it and how they're going to use it. And that it's, we don't like creating pieces that are sitting in the safe and you wear it once or twice a year, but rather creating things that really serve you and, and you enjoy them. And I think that the value proposition in big part is the fact that you actually enjoy it and wear it and not that it's, you know, just something you buy and, and it sits in the safe and then you get it once in a, you wear it once in a blue moon. So I think that's my true inspiration and passion is about the fact that people actually use it and enjoy it. And that's the feedback we get. Well, you mentioned the nature element. Uh, is there a particular part of, I mean, I've seen, I've seen the piece that was um, about the green of the trees and that transferred over into an emerald piece of jewelry and then the coral reef that became a cuff. Is there a certain aspect of nature that appeals to you the most? It really changes, you know, based on travel, 
just based on different things you're exposed to, uh, just inspiration from the stone itself and to look for, okay, what, what equivalent or what, what in it translates to things that I've experienced through my life and, and so on. As I said, again, meaning a big important part of it is just envisioning who's going to wear it, how they're going to wear it, how it's going to inspire them. I like conversation pieces that, um, uh, it's not about who's wealthier or, you know, it's, it's more about being sophisticated and interesting and you go into dinner and people will comment and you'll have a topic of conversation to talk about. Um, so all of these elements are things that, that come into my mind when I design a piece. So how, like if somebody like me comes along and was interested in, in looking, how would someone find you and be able to purchase something from Lugano Diamonds? Uh, well, first of all, we're similar to Brook USA. We're involved in so many different communities that we do businesses. Our main salon is in Newport Beach. Uh, and then we have a salon in Aspen. We have one in Palm Beach. We have the store that follows the equestrian circuit. And we recently were opening uh, a new store in, in the World Equestrian Center in uh, Ocala, uh, which is going to be a magnificent store. Uh, so those are all the places, uh, that, that you can see us. And plus we travel all over the world to see clients and so on. So, um, we're pretty easy to get to. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. And you mentioned the equestrian circuit. How did you get so involved in the equ equestrian world? Are you a rider yourself? I, I ride. I never rode professionally, actually never, never jumped, but, uh, but, uh, I rode since I was a little kid. My family has been very involved equestrian world my brother is an equestrian champion a rider a trainer uh trader and and so on and and we had a ranch in israel uh growing up and um it it, it was a really a natural fit something that uh, uh me and my family are very passionate about and and love this uh this world and this sport and the animals and um so it, it was a really a natural fit it's wonderful when that happens. And I know, Catherine, it's the same thing with you. You've been so involved in the equestrian world for so long. And actually, when we spoke last last year, um, you had been very instrumental in working toward the donkey hide crisis advocacy efforts. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? And is, is there a particular emphasis that the funding will go toward from anything that is raised from this particular event this year? Oh, sure. Yeah, uh, we actually have um, made some good progress in terms of the efforts in the United States to uh, curb the uh, the offering through retailers of the Ajao, which is a product that's made from uh, the donkey hide skins. Um, we are hoping to have um, sort of a much more firm answer, but nothing to announce quite just yet, um, from a very substantial retailer that globally will agree to um, stop having the product offered for sale, which I believe will start uh, obviously a, a massive effect in terms of the demand for it and therefore trickling back to the production um, and the slaughter of the donkeys. So that that uh, the fundraising from Brooke will continue our advocacy efforts um, that will also um, assist in continuing efforts for um, legislative action um, in Washington to ban the actual um, import of that product. And that's moving forward as well. We're getting some sponsorship on a bill. Um, so yes, that, that um, will come direct funding from the White Party. We'll go to that. Um, another thing is um, that there are some efforts in Nicaragua. There's some plots of land that have been identified for purchase um, for the people who have working equines to um, provide seeds that will grow fodder for them so that they can uh, house it, house the fodder and, and during good times and bad times will always have a way to feed their animals um, and create their own food source for these animals. So that um, with obviously the challenges are going on economically with climate and all these other uh, things that you won't have to compromise um, your livelihood and the, and the health of your animal. Uh, we're also um, getting interested in um, the Native American population in the United States, there's 326 um, different tribes here 
And um, there's quite a bit of um, interest to help with those populations who have experienced generational trauma, uh, who have a lot of reliance on equines or equines are a very important part of um, their culture. And so there's um, some farrier programs that we're funding right now to uh, work with the youth as well as the people who um, handle these animals. And, and also we're going to uh, undertake a study to really understand all of these different tribes and their populations and how we may be of uh, assistance for some of our funding for that. And then lastly, of course, the COVID relief, uh, we're gonna continue to fund uh, that grant program um, because obviously COVID isn't going away, unfortunately, anytime soon and people will still be in need as well as their equines. Mm. All of those funding efforts are, are definitely um, much needed. So the, the ticket sales, the money from ticket sales, I'm sure will go toward that. And then I know there's also an auction, silent auction. Is that going to happen again this year? I was lucky in my bid one last virtual auction. I got a velvet tote and it was beautiful. So how are things looking with the silent auction this year? Yeah, we're, we're going to do a hybrid um, where it's on site as well as um, online. And, and we're going to have um, some, obviously, a, a number of luxury items as, uh, as well as um, just our staples. Um, so that's coming along very well. We're taking, obviously, anybody's donations that would like to contribute to the auction. Uh, but yes, that will also be a nice source so that even nationally, if you'd like, you know, um, you'll, you'll be available to be able to participate in the auction or make a contribution if you can't attend the event. Now, are the polo teams already lined up? Are either of you playing? <laughs> my, my polar days are over, unfortunately, <laughs> but um, I still enjoy it quite a bit. Yes, we have three teams, actually. I have um, the Invicta team that Lisa Bear is sponsoring, which is a returning team, as well as Jillian Johnston's team, which is GJ Racing, um, who had won two years ago. And there's quite a rivalry between the two. And then they, we do have a third team, so it will be a round-robin format. Um, with Celebrity Cruises, who is one of our other wonderful sponsors that's coming in. Mm, it sounds exciting. It really does. And, and I, I'm just visualizing all of it. So I, I have to, to backtrack just a little bit, though, about Lugano Diamonds. It's hard for me to describe the beauty and attention to detail that the, of the Lugano Diamond pieces. I think you just probably have to either see them in person or be able to see them on the website or in a salon. Um, but Moti, looking back at your extensive collection of work, is there one piece in particular that you would call your favorite? Is there something that just strikes you that you love in particular and why? Not, not really. I mean, it, it really changes me. I think as a somebody creative you always have to look forward and never backwards you know if it, it having one favorite piece is a feeling that you've achieved like that the most with that one that means that you're not as much looking into the in, into the future and, and what you could create and really inspiration comes every day and and you, you need to be the most excited about the most recent project you're working on and and uh, looking into that, I think it's ever evolving. You know, it's. Uh, I think we're getting better and better, and and uh, have better capabilities and producing and making into a reality um, uh, the craftsmanship and so on. Uh, things that we uh, come up with and think of and how to make it better. There's a lot of technical elements in in our designs, and it's not just uh, uh, not just a lot of people can draw beautiful things. It's just a question also of how do you translate it and how do you make it and how do you make it work so that it's wearable and usable. And we've always um, looked at, at our design and our jewelry as wearable works of art. Uh, but something new that we've started is actually creating the pieces that while you're not wearing them, they become uh, a part of uh, an art piece at home that you can use it as an art piece at home. Uh, and literally the first few pieces have just come out. So we're very excited about that and, that, and think that it's another dimension sort of to, uh, to the artistic form of, of the jewelry. That sounds amazing. So or I'm sure there must be trends in, in what you do. Do you follow trends or do you kind of just forget all of that and try, blaze your own trail? Try to avoid them as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I think trends are... To me personally, they're not interesting. I, I, I think that uh, for me, jewelry is a representation of your own personality. And, and I 
field of why would you want to be like everybody else? I think each one should find their own path and their own way to uh, to present themselves to the world and and be interesting in who they are and and how and how they tell their story. So um, no, I, I I don't mean, but I think by the nature of that we do one of a kind pieces. Um, it's not to, like it's it, the structure is just not there to follow trends and also philosophically. I don't. I'm not a big believer in that. I'm so glad to hear you say that. <laughs> well, and and I guess I know that Brook USA is looking to partner with companies like Lugano Diamonds, who are reputable and solid and caring, and obviously with your background in philanthropy, um, the best of the best. And so I've heard that good corporate citizenry helps give companies a business edge. What do you think about that? Do you do you consider that something that's important? Uh, I, I do. I I, I think that. Uh... I mean, we, we came up with a philanthropic approach to business where we moved. My wife and I and our kids moved from Israel 16 years ago. Um, I, I truly believe there's a connection. Uh, and people do business with people that they want to do business with. And I think that uh, if you invest in the community, then the community invests back in, in you. Um Easier said than done, obviously, but uh, but uh, I, I truly believe in it. I think that you know, there's many jewelers, there's many horse trainers, there's many uh, you know, there's an abundance of most things in in, in life, uh, and I think that at the end of the day, um, maybe the last year has taught us that more more than anything that we we want to belong. Uh, we want to have a connection with other people. Uh, and uh, it's all about a relationship and longevity. Uh, and I think that's the leader. You know, I, and I find that in most cases, people literally make a conscious decision that they want to do business with us before they even choose an item. So it's not transactional. It's, it's, it's about a human connection. I, I can believe that. I would imagine that's absolutely true. And I, I think what you're doing is very special that on both counts. Um, so I can't wait to see how things come together with this event. I think it's going to be so special. Before we wrap up, though, Catherine, there's you mentioned several other initiatives and the power of one keeps coming back to mind. Um, how are things going with that campaign for Brook USA? And um, I know it's going to be an important part of 2021. Yeah, we launched that um, in October, and the power of one is basically the realization that everybody, no matter great or small, can make a contribution and make a change. Um, and so we did a year-long initiative that'll end in October um, to raise a million dollars. Um, we actually are up to $592,000. So it's just been um, a tremendously successful effort so far. Um, and we're hoping to keep, keep going with it and, um, you know, and keep raising funds through it. Um, there's, for anybody who's interested, um, you can go to our website or text ORANGE to 71760 to make a contribution. But again, the whole idea is one dollar it could be one dollar it could be a hundred dollars you know and we'll slowly or quickly or whatever everybody can help to get to a million dollars that we'll put to to all the good programs that we fund and so that's brookusa.org for yes. everyone to visit and then of course if they want to see some of the beautiful lugano diamonds it's luganodiamonds.com and so we we know that everybody's going to be be looking for information and ready to run out and buy their tickets to the sunset polo and white party special edition latin america i'm so excited for you and i can't wait to hear how things go thank you both so much for telling me more about it today and for being with us on brook usa on the road Thank Thanks you so much. Stay safe and good luck to all of us to make this a very successful event. 100 million working horses, donkeys, and mules support 600 million of the world's poorest people. They are the sole source of income for many families through the backbreaking labor of their animals. Unfortunately, the majority of these working equines are suffering 
from chronic welfare issues and premature death, nearly all of which are preventable. Brook USA provides funding for scientifically proven, practical, and sustainable equine welfare programs throughout the developing world. We work primarily through Brook, the world's largest international equine welfare charity, which reaches 2 million working equines annually, benefiting 12 million people who depend on them. When we fund training for people and veterinary interventions for working equines, Brook USA effectively prevents and eases the suffering of these animals and ensures better livelihoods for people now and for generations to come. Projects recently funded by Brook USA include construction of permanent water troughs in Ethiopia, continuing education for veterinarians in Senegal, training for Maasai women who own donkeys in Kenya, veterinary interventions in Pakistan, disease prevention and training for animal health care workers in India, improved nutrition for animals in Guatemala, and so much more. We also recently funded emergency relief programs for equine victims of natural disasters in the U.S. and Puerto Rico. Please help us fund even more solutions to the world's most challenging equine welfare problems. Selleck is a world-class equestrian, competing as a jumper at the Grand Prix level. She is the winner of the Silver Team Medal at the Prix d'Estates in 2005 and the 16-year-old Equitation Championship at Capital Challenge in 2006. Opting out of both the arts and the corporate worlds, Hannah now runs Descanso Farms Boutique Breeding Stable, based in Thousand Oaks, California. The farm trains young horses, developing them into quality sport horses, which are then put for sale or for Hannah's own use. Hannah not only rides, trains, and competes, but also makes it a priority to give back to the sport that shaped her life, serving as an ambassador for Brook USA since 2016. She hopes to travel abroad to support Brook USA's funded work. So Hannah, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to get a chance to speak with you. Oh, thanks for having me. I want to start out by asking, first of all, about your relationship with Brook USA. How did you first hear about the organization and what was it that kind of drew you in and, and made you connect to them? Uh, a friend of mine, fellow show jumper, Jess Mendoza, brought me to an event in Wellington. Um, and I just, you know, love their mission of helping working equines globally and the, the people that depend on them. Um, so I just really, you know, loved, loved that mission and, and thought I could, uh, get involved and help. Definitely. Well, I've really enjoyed speaking with some of the ambassadors. And so that's a pretty special role that you have that you share with them. And it's been interesting to see all of the different backgrounds with show jumping or I spoke with some polo folks today. I'm learning about a lot. So so that's fun. So tell me a little bit about your role as an ambassador. What are your responsibilities? What do you do? Um, as ambassadors, most of us are members of the equestrian world, um, jumpers and um, all different types. Um, we bring awareness to the product projects that Brooks USA funds, um, whether we're doing fundraisers or on our social media. Um, and Brooke is always putting on a lot of great events. Um, I hope this year that their big one happens. Um, so by attending those parties or, you know, promoting those parties also, which is fun. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, the virtual thing that we've all had to do, it helps for things like this podcast because here we are right. say on the road and I can't go anywhere, but at least, um, you know, we can speak with folks who are out on the road. And even if right. it's traveling back and forth to the barn, at least we're still doing something <laughs> fun with that. So yeah. So you're obviously a horse lover, an equestrian at heart. How did all of that start for you? Did you start riding and falling in love with horses as a child? Yeah, I mean, you know, what draws draws me to the sport is that initial love of horses. So that was about, I think I was about four years old. Um, I started riding at a local riding school in Westlake Village um, called Foxfield. And, uh, you know, I was just your typical barn rat. I loved it. 
would be there from the morning as long as I could in the afternoons. And we learned horse care and took care of our own horses. And I made some of my best friends there. Um, so that kind of, you know, pulled, pulled me in pretty, pretty well. Well, do you have a, a memory of one one horse or pony in particular? I know when I look back, I, I, I don't know if it's just from seeing the pictures of myself on this little teeny tiny pony or what, but do you, do you remember the first pony you rode? I, I remember an early, early lesson on a little Shetland pony named Sheba. Um, and she was very naughty. I fell off two times. Um, oh. It was the first time my dad came to watch and Sheba didn't really do anything too horrendous. She just, you know, got my number and um, it was an itty bitty thing. And she just pulled her head down and I plopped off over the, you know, neck and then I got back on and she did it again. So um, <laughs> then I think I, I toughened up a little bit and uh, figured it out. But <laughs> that's right. an early memory. I guess well, it didn't scare me off. <laughs> well, the smaller they are, I think the more determination they have when they decide to yes. get off. So absolutely. So you, you know, you have a lot of hats. You wear a lot of hats here. You're riding, but you also have a breeding farm. Um, a lot of other things going on in your life. How do you balance everything? How do you manage your time? I mean, at times it feels very organized and other times it's a, you know, juggling act. Um, I do try and have a daily planner where I write, you know, uh, my days down and my weeks down, um, which is helpful. Um, but you know, I, I like being busy and you, you find the time for what you love. So sometimes it takes carving time out a little bit more. Um, but you know, it kind of all fits in. Well, how did you actually get into the breeding farm? I mean, that's, that's something that's a little bit unexpected, how did that adventure come about? How'd you decide to do that? Uh, it was my dad's idea, actually. Um, I'd had some really great mares my junior years. And, um, you know, the, the cost of horses is continually going up. So my dad suggested to breed um, the retired mares I have and try and produce my own um, horses. So we've had about, I think, about nine foals. Um now and one full or one one filly here is now eight this year rumple so um she's kind of my main main gal right now um but it's uh it's been a, a great learning experience um you know working with young horses bringing them through the ranks um and now I'm actually transitioning a little bit more into sales um because it is quite costly in the states to produce the horses um, and being more mature kind of in my, I wouldn't say mature, but, um, I'm less reckless. So I don't really want to ride the total youngsters anymore. Um, so now transitioning more into sales. Well, you mentioned Rumpel. I had, I was reading through and noticed some of the names. Do you, I had cat, a cat, a cat, but I had more than one all named after the cat's musical. So when I saw Rumpel, oh. I have a Rumpel teaser and a Mungo Jerry. So I have to wow. Do you do all the naming? I do. And actually, my mom was in Cats in London. And oh, wow. her character was Teaser. <laughs> so that is how Rumple got her name. <laughs> that is so cool. Very yeah. Cool. We got to have some fun with her because a lot of the, the breeds, um, I think especially with the Holsteiners, they give you uh, letters uh, to start the full names with every year. But Rumpel's mom had some pony bloodlines way back, um, and she wasn't, I think, accepted into the Holsteiner um, book. So yeah. we we had some freedom naming Rumpel, and that kind of fits her out of the box, uh, unconventional mold quite well, well. I hope you don't end up with any Rum Tum Tuggers because those are the I will try and just have one cat. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what are the qualities you're you're looking for in particular? I mean, is there a, a certain thing that you're really hoping to achieve with the breeding program? Yeah, I think to, you know, produce these horses, and it's it's been such a learning curve as they go, but um, produce them to be their best. Um, not all of them are come out and kind of are capable of, of competing at the top level of the sport. That's the ultimate goal, I think. Rumpel will will be successful 
Um, but we've produced some really nice horses. Um, you know, a three foot three, one ended up being quite a nice three foot three hunter, um, with a great kid in California. Um, and just, you know, giving them the best start they can and, and learning along the way. Well, you obviously know quite a bit about business. I mean, it, it comes through in, in just speaking with you. Do you have like a business philosophy in mind? <sighs> I mean, I don't, I don't totally. Um, I, I, I come back to that Winston Churchill quote. Um, it is the courage to continue that counts. I think there's a, a longer quote, but that's uh, kind of what I remember. And, uh, you know, it just takes work every day and there'll be failures and bad days. Um, and that's part of it. So you just keep going and endure and, um, you know, do your best. And it's so hard. I mean, the horse business, balancing that love of horses and the business side of it is is definitely hard. So I have a lot of respect for you and being able to do that. And like oh, thank you. as a boutique breeding operation. And so are you selective in in the way that works or or uh, do you want to make it bigger or would do you prefer to keep it? No, I'm starting transition into more sales now um just with where i'm at personally with my career after some injuries and i'm just not not wanting to uh put myself on younger horses because they you know are a bit unpredictable um so i have bred my my top horse barla who retired last year um so she will have one full on the ground this year um and i'll do a little bit of breeding with her she's extremely well-bred and so talented um, but starting to phase out of it um, more and, and put those efforts um, into the sale. Well, I don't even know how you have time to do it because you sound very busy. But philanthropy <laughs> is also something that's pretty important to you. So it, besides the Brook USA side of what you do, how did you get involved in philanthropy and why is that so important to you? Um, I, it's always been important to me. Um, I, I saw my dad working with different organizations and uh, going to Catholic and Christian schools. Service was a big component. Um, so I think kind of seeing that and having those experiences, um, you know, your, your heart is really drawn to it. So in this uh, equestrian world, there is a, a lot of you know, privilege. We're very lucky to work with these horses every day. Um, so I think the philanthropy is a, is a big component to give back. And when there's an equine cause, um, it's so closely linked to our heart. Um, it, it just has to be done. Well, and, and you must have to do other things other than the philanthropy and the business and everything else. You must not have time, but when you do, what do you do for fun? Do you have other um, horses? I have my Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. She's a, a ruby uh, named Penelope. Um, so really, anytime I'm home, she's spending the winter out on my parents' ranch with the rest of their their pups. But, um, you know, hiking with Penelope, <laughs> hanging out by the pool. I do love a good beach day. I think, you know, growing up right close to Malibu in California, that's always a nice sort of reset. and actual relaxing activity <laughs> and, and sometimes hitting some tennis balls around and, and that's that's about it oh wow it sounds wonderful now does Penelope get along with the horses or I mean she's probably pretty small we have to be careful Penelope is not hugely horsey she did not grow up at a barn so when she's come to Wellington um if she's not supervised by me on the ground when I get on a horse she loves her her kennel she's crate trained and um she's very happy waiting in there between between rides that comes in handy for sure and I'm sure she's yeah. calming for you in the midst of all the chaos oh yeah she yeah. is she's a dear definitely well I always ask the guest on the podcast what they would say to young women and and interested in becoming an equestrian or getting into equestrian sports. So I'd like to know that from you, but I'd also like to know what would you say to someone who wants to get into the business side of it as you've done? Wow. I mean, it's, I just think of it and it's such a great sport for, for young women. Um, it's so empowering working with such large animals and then on the sports side of it, competing um, on the same playing field as, as the men for the same prize money. It's, um, 
pretty cool on that. But the business side, um, I didn't really know what I was getting into totally when I decided to turn professional and pursue the riding full-time after college. Um, definitely don't choose it because you think it's um, easier than than a nine to five more, more um, I guess, normal job. Um, and it takes, it's, it's 24 seven, takes a ton of work. Um, but you know, when you love something and that's your passion, it's well worth it. Oh yeah, you're right. It doesn't, it's not an easy job for sure. For no. sure. either side, the horse side or the business side. So combining the two is, is incredible. Yeah. But now I've also read that you're interested in getting your MBA. And so speaking of business, are you working on that already? Is that something that you're pretty? Yeah, I just started um, this semester uh, in Pepperdine's online MBA program. Um, So I have a emphasis in leadership and their program is pretty strong in that. Um, I've been debating it for several years, going back to school, being out of you know, undergrad for about 10 years. And I felt that with COVID, having some downtime from the sport, um, you know, gave me the opportunity to think and and decide that, okay, I have some time to implement something new. And I love learning. Um, And I just love kind of taking those blinders off and expanding, you know, one, one view as the horse world is, is quite small and competitions are so encompassing that, that um, I'm really excited for this. And actually, I, I uh, my degree in undergrad, I had an emphasis in managing nonprofits. So um, I don't quite know what I'll do with my degree yet, but it, you know, I may may want to use it for some some bigger nonprofit projects. Well, I'm thrilled to hear that you're you're thinking of learning as a lifelong thing because I'm an arts yeah. coordinator. South Carolina. And so the arts are in education are huge to me. But I also read that you were a, quite an accomplished ballet um, enthusiast at some point in your yeah. life. Yeah. So have you ever thought about getting back into ballet? No, I have. I took a few like adult ballet classes at one point, probably like five years ago. Um, but, you know, it came, my riding and my ballet was very serious. Um, I had to choose if I was going to be very good at one. Um, and it was kind of that point where I'd have to go away to ballet school. So I, I loved the horses and, and that was really my passion. So, so I went with, went with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you a bit. I, my ballet teacher used to smack me on the knee with a ruler. <laughs> I, was little, so I decided yeah. I'd stick with horses too. So yeah. speaking of the horse side of it, I have to ask, this is not fair because you ask people, you, you can't ask people who's your favorite child, but I'm going to ask you anyway, <laughs> do you have a favorite horse? I mean, all, all my, my really great horses of my career, um, I had Circa Z, Bauer, Tosca, and most recently Barla. I mean, those horses that, that try their hearts out and give you some of your greatest wins are just always hold a special place. They all do, but um, those ones that just try and try and, and do their best every time fight for you in the ring is just, you know, there's nothing like it. Yeah, those are the ones that really get to you. Yeah, really yeah. So speaking of getting to your heart, let's talk a little bit about the Brook USA projects because I've Mm -hmm. been really touched by some of the things that you all have been able to do as ambassadors. Um, I know especially you were pretty creative in some fundraising efforts all on your own. Um, What what did you think, even online, you thought of some things to do as fundraising with birthdays and, and things like that. How did that happen? Did you just think of that on your own? Yeah, I just thought it would be nice to, um, you know, see if I could raise some funds for for my birthday, um, asking friends, um, per, like close friends instead of a gift, just I'd love for you to make a donation. Um, and then I just, you know, posted it on my social media and, and a lot of, you know, followers I don't know personally gave gave really generously. So that was that was quite fun. I just threw it out there and, and went with it. Um, and it, and it was great. That is great. Cause I mean, like right now, so many of the things are having to be canceled and we're having to do so much. So online. hard. 
it's it's hard and with with the cause you know you want to think of those ways of doing things so if mm-hmm. you had the opportunity to visit a brick usa site in the developing world is there anything that that you find in particular that you'd like to see or do uh i mean all of brooks projects um are so impressive and if there are places in the world i haven't been able to visit yet um Hopefully, when the world opens up and the competitions allow, um, you know, it would be great to visit um, maybe the project in Kenya. Um, I've never been to to Africa, so that would be would be quite amazing to witness. Definitely, I, I think the same thing. I, as I hear all of you describe different different places, some of the ambassadors talked about Guatemala, and I've learned a little bit about the brick kilns in India. And it's opened yeah. my eyes. This podcast really has opened my eyes. So wow, yeah, I admire everything that that you guys are are doing. So, it, oh, can thanks. you tell us all what should somebody do if they wanted to do more for Brook USA? Um, is there anything in particular that somebody on the outside could do to help? Um, well, you know, raising funds and donating is always, um, a huge need for that. So if you are able to give, um, please give, um, but there's also roles in volunteering, um, and just really helping Brooke plan all their events and raise funds. Um, there's, there, everyone's so friendly if you reach out, um, and, and want to help. I'm sure there's, there's a role to fill. Definitely. Well, I know they're planning the Brook USA Sunset Polo and White Party. So have you ever considered playing in, in the one of the matches? I think that would oh be... Oh my a- gosh, I would love to, but it's uh, it's intimidating to try a different discipline. I, I'd want to practice a little bit before, but yeah, I would I would love to. I think for next year, that's what they need to do. Just find random yeah. people and uh, you would do really well, I'm sure. But- <laughs> Be on one of ponies and I'd fall off. So I'd, I'd want some uh, good uh, to be well mounted. <laughs> yes. That would help. Definitely. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for speaking with me today, and we appreciate so much your time and and all that you do for Brook USA. Oh well, thank you. This this is fun. Well, good luck with everything, and and go play with the ponies. <laughs> yeah, back back to work soon. Yes. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. If you'd like to support Brook USA and help this work continue, you can donate by texting ORANGE to 71760.